Hello and welcome to Confessions. I'm Giles Fraser. This is the podcast where I'm talking to interesting and well-known guests to try and find out what it is that makes them tick. I'm going to try and drill down into their core beliefs to understand who they are and what they're on about. John Lansman, um, founder of Momentum. Is founder, is that fair enough? Yes. Okay. Heavily associated with Momentum and, um, and with Jeremy Corbyn. Tell me where you come from. Tell me what your background is. Well, I, I, I grew up in, this may sound unlikely, my parents voted conservative for, you know, when I was a kid. Um, uh, it was a suburban household. They were in the rag trade. Jewish, uh, fairly orthodox, uh, you know, not very orthodox because the shop was open on Saturday and, uh, you know, that's not... But a bit more not, than high days and holy days in terms uh, of going to synagogue. Kosher food at home, oh, right, you okay. know, wouldn't, wouldn't have anything unkosher at home. Um, and I, I suppose, you know, I was a child of the 60s. I oh. was uh, rebellious by nature. I was very taken with, uh, you know, the, the kind of hippie uh, ideas when I was a kid. Uh, and I thought my parents were very reactionary. I've come later to a different view of my parents. Okay. I feel, you know, you don't completely realise these things till they're dead, actually. Yeah. Uh, and I think they, gave, they contributed a lot in spite of being Tories to, to my politics because uh, my mum uh, came from a very poor background. She grew up, you know, her, with her sister and her parents in one room in uh, Kilburn. They shared a, a kitchen, there was a loo, the bath was a tin bath under the, under the kitchen table. And uh, my mum was bright. Uh, she got a scholarship, this was during the war, uh, she got a scholarship to a, a very a grammar school, this is before the 44 Education Act, she got a scholarship to a grammar school and she was very bright but she, she had to leave when she was 14 to earn a living. And, uh, and your dad? My dad, uh, well he was born above the, the shop where, which, which was the family business in Hackney. But, so you know, classic small businessman Tory type of values. It, exactly, is that? exactly. I mean, he was a he was very much a, a one nation Tory. He, he he was very pro public services. He eventually ended up being a Tory councillor in Hackney, and he was very conscientious. And so, do, is your is your leftyism in part a sort of fallout against your dad and it all was, of that? In, well, he actually didn't join the Tory party until after I joined the Labour party. I joined the Labour party when I was sixteen. And uh, he joined the Tory party as a reaction to me. Oh, fact. really? Okay. His dad actually, I think, was a liberal voter. Okay. Um, and, uh, but my mum uh, was very encouraging of me. You know, she used to take me, she loved the theatre. She, you know, when she, even, those, even after she left school, she, she was working uh, in Hoburn, actually, and she used to go and queue up for the, for the, you know, the tickets on the day. And she loved the theatre. Used to take me to the theatre as a kid. So, so what was it? Was it the sixties that made? So, I'm trying to work out where the lefty John Lansman appears. Because post well, school, so you go 
Tory councillor, posh school. I'm not holding it against you. I'm just talking, just trying to hold this the... This is true. The, this, this is, is true. true. I'm just trying to get the, the, the background. I, uh, my mum loved, you know, she read a hell of a lot. She was incredibly well read. She uh, encouraged me. I read a lot. And I read a lot of stuff that stimulated political thinking. And, uh, and a lot of it was... was uh, Jewish history of, of uh, anti-Semitism through the ages, of persecution, of uh, the Holocaust, and, uh, you know, that turned me towards having very strong views about injustice. Uh, my parents really encouraged debate at the dinner table, you know, the Friday night, you know, the Sabbath uh, meal was always a family occasion, and we would always argue often about politics from uh, when I was very young. And there was that, there was that time in, in the 60s where you describe, um, particularly with Israel, with Is there was a sort of great deal of hope about the whole, I guess, Zionist project. This was a sort of, it had a relationship to socialism, it had a sort of, there was, so, there was something about that sort of pioneering sense the, of, of, of Israel. I, the pioneering aspect of it was really important. I was incredibly attracted to the idea of the kibbutz, of communal living, of, of, of the lab, a return to the land and simplicity. You know, I, I don't know, these things were much more appealing than what I got at school, which I hated actually. It was an unpleasant experience. You know, I, uh, I, you know, I travelled a long way to school. I didn't have any, you know, none of my friends lived anywhere near me. It was very isolating. Uh, it, it meant that I read a lot because <laughs> I didn't have anything else to do in the yeah. evenings once I got home. But you know, it was, it was, it was the uh, hostility to oppression and injustice which first got me interested in politics. Um, and what turned me to the Labour Party really was the experience of. Uh, the three-day week, Ted Heath, uh, the miners' strikes of 72 and 74, uh, and in 1974, in the February election, I wasn't even 16, and someone knocked on uh, my front door, canvassing in that, in that election. I answered the door, uh, and it led me to join the Labour, to, to, to go out and deliver leaflets in that election. I joined the Labour Party. Shortly after that election, I was an active member and canvassing by the time we got to the second election in 1974. And uh, um, you, you went and uh, spent some time in a kibbutz, didn't you? And uh, uh, did. How, how did that, did that change your view about uh, Israel and um, your Jewishness? That, that sort of it, it, it changed my view about the return to the land, uh, working in chicken houses for three days, chicken shit, uh, shoveling, shoveling chicken shit. Uh, it was liquid on day one, and it had turned to dust by uh, day three. Uh, and I don't know which was worse. The smell, on, the smell was worse on day one, but you had to breathe it in on, on day three. Um, I became a vegetarian for some years after that <laughs> result. And I still don't eat battery chicken, uh, ever. Right? Yeah, even on Did you change your politics doing that, that experience? Well, what changed my politics was um, they had too many volunteers on the kibbutz, and I actually spent quite a lot of time on the West, on the West Bank. This was 1974, um, and uh, although the occupation was nothing like it is today, it was a sobering experience, and I I worked out that uh, I wasn't happy with that. I so that you know. I mean, I'd been interested in the, in the Israel-Palestine you know, conflict. But you call yourself a Zionist? Uh, 
I didn't really after that, no. Okay, before uh, then, no. I, I would, I, I, I don't think the Zionism label was ever very big. You know, Zionism, I, you know, it was, Zionism, I think, wasn't really a big thing in Britain until after the Six Day War in '67. So, you know, we had a, a there was a blue and white tin in the corner, which was, you know, money for for Israel. But uh, it was only after the Six Day War when people started going to Israel, Jews started going to Israel, uh, going to Jerusalem, that um, I think things began to change. People began to emigrate. My father's sister emigrated to Israel. That's one of the reasons why I went to work on the kibbutz. I went to stay with my aunt. You know, I had cousins, uh, including one my own age. But I was quite disillusioned by the experience, in fact, because, first of all, the kibbutz was not the... Fantasy uh, that you'd uh, had. It, it wasn't. No, it was, uh, you know, they didn't have, well, the first thing was they didn't have children. So, you know, one of the things which attracted them was the idea of not living with my parents, of living with other kids, right. being a more independent. And, you know, they'd abolished them. I mean, uh, I mean, now I probably wouldn't be so enthusiastic about the concept. I liked living with my kids yeah, yeah, when yeah, they grew yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, it was disillusioning and it, it, it made, and so my politics evolved. I mean, part of the reason it's no, important. No, I do not describe myself as a Zionist. No, no, no. And it's part of, the reason, part of the reason that it's important to talk about this, and it's interesting to talk about this, is obviously the Labour Party has this huge problem with anti-Semitism at the moment. And you're, at the, you're, you're, you're sort of key in, uh, it seems to me, in negotiating between sort of misunderstandings, if that's what it is, or um, also the, you know, how, you speak to, how you speak into a situation of genuine anti-Semitism on the left. Um, and you've said before you think this is a real problem. Can you say well, something more about well, this? Well, I, I know it's a real problem. I see cases. You know, I'm, I'm now a member of the Labour Party National Executive. Uh, we have cases coming to us. And, uh, you know, they are cases of real anti-Semitism, which no one could see as anything else if they saw them. You know, we can't, you know, uh, because of data protection legislation, we are not allowed to show the evidence. And why has the Labour Party got such a particular problem? Well, you say such a particular problem. I don't think it has actually got such a particular. I mean, it's a it's a it's a real problem for us. It's a te it's a very difficult problem. But I don't think it's particular to the Labour Party. I think it's present in society. I think it's present. You know, my dad, when he was a Tory, thought the Tory Party was an anti-Semitic party. He, he supported it because of his own economic interests. He always thought it was a problem. Uh, in, the, in the Tory party, and indeed it is, as is Islamophobia, very strongly in the, a problem in the Tory party. But there is no point in when, when, there, are, when there are genuine accusations of anti-Semitism, you know, that, that are real, to, to point the finger at someone else and say, yes, but, yes, yes, yes. you know, you have to acknowledge, you know, when, when people make, make uh, accusations of racism, you have to take them seriously and investigate them, and if they are valid, then you have to, you have to deal with that. And There's to, no point and to in, some of that in what aboutery. Does some of the racism on the, the left, as it were, grow, anti-Semitism on the left, grow out of a particular attitude towards Israelis? Well, I think uh, I, 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 it, I, it is absolutely related to the Israel-Palestine conflict because you know upsurges in anti-Semitism in society are related to periods of, of, of great attention in that conflict. So you know when there, when, you know the Lebanon, you know the war in Lebanon, the you know attacks on Gaza, you know absolutely make it worse. But you know that isn't enough of an answer because. You know why? Why should people hold Jews in 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 Britain 
responsible for the actions of, of the Israeli government. You know, they don't elect the Labour government. Most Jews in Britain disapprove of, of the occupation. You know, they understand that settlements are an obstacle to peace. Uh, and so, you know, it's quite wrong. It, it's as wrong to hold Jews responsible for the, you know, for the actions of the Israeli government as it is to hold Muslims responsible for the actions of any, any, you know, uh, the government of any Islamic country or organisation. So we'll move on from this. So you 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 get your um, leftism quite early on. Yeah. And then you go to uni and so forth. Does it develop during that sort of early? your early years? It certainly did. I mean, by the time I got to university, I uh, was already, uh, I would say, a Benite. Uh, you know, I was, I was attracted to the, uh, the economics of the alternative economic strategy. Uh, I'd been a member of the campaign for Labour Party democracy. For a, I joined that uh, actually just after I, I started university. That was the influence of some people in the uh, young socialist branch that I was in, which was, uh, you know, we used to meet every week. Uh, you know, we'd go out campaigning. We uh, talked politics. It, that was a very formative experience. The, you know, having an active youth section, you know, which which engaged in political discussion, not just canvassing, which unfortunately was what. Young Labour did for a number of years. Um, and then how, you were quite was, young when you went to work for Tony Benn. I was, uh, I was, well, I was straight I, you know, out of university. I, I got very much involved in the campaign for Labour Party democracy, and that led, you know, we, we were winning various things at the time. We, that was when we won a wider franchise for the election of the leader. You know, essentially prepared the ground for the, the method that eventually elected Jeremy Corbyn as leader of the Labour Party. We, we changed the way, or the Labour Party changed the way it selected its MPs to make them more accountable to the party. You know, there was a division then, as there was uh, in, in 2015, you know, between the, the, uh, the way that the parliamentary party saw things and the way that the, the bulk of the membership saw things. And, you know, that did lead to some conflict in the party, which I know is never good for political parties in, uh, you know, when it comes to election time. One of the things that has um, fascinated about your, me about your story is that your, your wife died when uh, she was in her 30s. She was 39. Which 39. And then you and spent... my kids were, were, were little. Um, they were little. You know, seven, eight and eleven. And then you spent a long period of time basically looking after your kids, didn't you? That was, that was a lot of... Uh, well, they also spent a lot of time looking after me, uh, in fact. Right? And, you know, kids do that. Kids yes, care yes, about yes. you. And... Your wife, uh, did your wife, you know, have, did your wife have cancer? Is that why? She had breast cancer, yeah. She, she, was, di she, she was diagnosed... Uh, uh, and survived four years, you know, a year of treatment, a year of uh, uh, normality, and then she got secondaries and uh, died a couple of years later. And it was, it was a very hard time. Yeah. Um, I, I, I imagine that those things shape a person politically and socially as much as any of the other experiences you might have, even uh, though it might be hard to describe how. Well, it's, I, I can describe how I, I, you know, I, I don't mind talking about it. Um, uh, you know, 
I had a job interview um, about uh, a year or two after she died, and I was asked, as you do get asked in job interviews sometimes, uh, you know, what was my greatest success? And uh, I said um, it, it was uh, my wife's death in the sense of making it as good a death as it could be. And I don't think that was very helpful in the job interview. It, it rather <laughs> terrified the interviewers. But it, it was really how I felt. And, and actually, the way that I got through that period was by, you know, once she was diagnosed as having secondaries, you know, we knew what she was going to die of, and we knew it wasn't going to be very long. And, uh, you know, when the kids talked to us about it, we answered their questions. So, um, you know, when my youngest, Ben, uh, one uh, one day when they were having their tea, we were sitting around the table, uh, and he said to Beth, "Mummy, um, uh, when you die, who's going to pick me up from school?" Uh, well, Beth actually laughed, and we ended up all laughing because it was it was funny. I mean, it was it was wonderful the way actually a child can ask a basic, simple question which matters, and you can answer it easily and. Um, so we talked honestly to our kids and I was very focused on making it a good death and actually it was a good death. Uh, she died at home uh, with her family all around her and, sorry. No, 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 no. Uh, and, you know, we moved on from it. And, and you know, I, my family is now really, really important to me. I could never uh, imagine, uh, you know, it, it, it's the thing that most shapes my politics in many ways. Yeah. You know, my kids, who all, that. by the way, join the Labour Party, they all supported Jeremy Corbyn, they're members of Momentum. You got um, me? Uh, they, you got me crying here still... on the stage, but it's not about that. <laughs> <laughs> they still look after me, actually. And they still, uh, you know, we're, we're a very mutually supportive family. When you go from a situation where you're close to someone like Tony Benn, and there's, you're close to quite a lot of power there, and then you're spending some years washing socks and taking people to school and doing something like I that. I taught That's my the, kids to wash their own socks. Actually, no, I made them sort their socks, right? You know you, how you can never but match socks. I'm sort of asking about how... And they the, took over their own how, washing. How the, there's there's periods when your ego... <laughs> I guess you're sort of like, you know, you have, go from an important thing and then your ego takes a bit of a, a bashing or... You know, you have to be quite well, strong to come through that. Well, listen, I... I'm asking it, it, for, it, I tell you so what, happens. I say, I'm asking for a friend who used to be at St Paul's Cathedral <laughs> and, then he, and then he left there and went to a, a less glamorous job and it's like hard to go to those sorts of... Uh, it's hard making those sorts of... Jumps. We all have to do a mixture of things in our lives. You know, the, the, the most important pe people in the world, and I'm certainly not one of them, they have to do their washing. They have to, you know, cook and clean and stuff yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, and look, the most, the, you know, these difficult personal circumstances are the most difficult things to manage in all of our lives, I think. And uh, I. I mean, look, people raise this as, as, as if, you know, it, it, my life must have been very hard and difficult. But actually, I've, I, I don't feel that about my life. I feel I've been incredibly privileged. You know, I, I have lived probably in a very small window where 
I've never been asked to, you know, I've never experienced, directly experienced war. I know other people have, and there have been terrible wars in my life. But I've never been directly uh, impacted on them. You know, my, my parents grew up during the war, but most of their lives were, were in peacetime. You know, I live in one of the richest countries in the world. I had a, a, a very privileged education. I have a very loving family. That's I, the sort of thing I'm a lucky say, person. It's the sort of thing people say about lefties as a gotcha, isn't it? That sort of thing. As, as, it's some, as if it's some sort of... Um, there's some sort of hypocrisy about having that. That's sort of... Uh, I've read a couple of things, you know, aimed at you that have that as its sort of gotcha idea. Oh, he's got a few quid, don't you know? He went to a posh school, don't you know? Uh, I don't... I, there's a lot of things I no longer read. And, uh, you know, I don't often look at the Sunday Telegraph anymore uh, or the Daily Mail. Uh, I don't read the comments on my social media feeds. There's a lot of nasty stuff on that. The only time it re you know, I really get exercised about that stuff is when it's about my kids, and there have been some stuff about, the, about okay. my kids, right. which is really unpleasant. Yeah, yeah. You, you, be, you became, for a certain sort of journalist, you became a sort of hate figure. I mean, they always like to find hate figures, but there's a time when you'll become the sort of like, you know, you're the boogeyman that's gonna, that's gonna get you. My kids don't hate me, though, you know, and, and that gets <laughs> me through. Let's, let's move on to momentum. Let's talk about, let's talk about momentum. Um, what was the idea behind the founding of Momentum? You know, w when Jeremy, uh, I was in a meeting when Jeremy agreed, you know, to, you know, it was his turn to stand for the leadership. He didn't um, want to, did he? He didn't, well, he, he didn't want to, but he was, he was accepting of the fact that he, he would be... Buggins' turn. He, it was, yeah, it was his turn. And, of course, he only thought it was about being on the ballot paper. He didn't actually think he would even be a candidate. So... Um, and he, you know, I think he, he did rise to that challenge. He rose at, at every occasion to the challenge, but he was, he never wanted the job. You know, it, it was never, well, he, he never, he'd never set out for the job. He didn't, he had no ambition to be leader of the Labour Party. And in my view, that's a good thing. That's, uh, uh, you know, it, it makes him fit for the job, in my view. Um, and so and the, the, the momentum itself is a sort of set up as a sort of, well, Praetorian Guard for well, the... Well, uh, no, the Praetorian Guard, you know, the, the dangerous place, I think they killed 12 of the emperors they were supposed to oh. um, protect, so it's not a Praetorian Guard. Um, no, the idea happened, right, we, d we didn't know that we were going to win. Uh, I thought we'd do quite well, and the, you know, we knew we would have access to the Labour Party's membership database, we would be able to communicate, we'd be able to collect data our own, and, and the idea was we would use that data to build an organisation to promote the ideas that, that, that were, you know, the essence of the campaign. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, and that's in a sense what we did do, but we won the, we won the yeah. election as well. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it was a, an astonishing campaign. I wish I could say we'd organised it, you know, that way, but it was spontaneous. People were, you know, uh, you know, really, you know, motivated and enthused by uh, hearing political ideas that they hadn't heard before, uh, and you know that uh, there was an alternative to austerity, and he articulated. And the connection it. between him and young people was particularly momentum is often seen as a. I, I don't think we call you a young person, if that's. I'm afraid, but but that's but it's, it's seen as a young person's movement. 
I think it is seen as young people. I mean, actually, Momentum's membership is probably representative of the population, as is the Labour Party's membership. But it didn't used to be like that. The Labour Party's membership, you know, only a few years ago, I was the youngest person at a Labour, my Labour Party branch meeting. And I am 61 now. You know, it shouldn't have been like that, but it was like that. But uh, Labour Party now has a, a representative... Uh, uh, it's a representative of the population and uh, you know young people are an enthusiastic part of that and if you come to Momentum's offices and if you came to uh, you know the phone banks and other things in those leadership campaigns in the, in, the, in, the, in the 2017 general election you will have found loads of young people and of course that is really enthusiastic because I didn't think we were going to have a generation that was going to take on uh, you know if you like the banner of socialism and so to have this sudden influx is enormously uh, you know, inspiring for me, actually. And I, you can learn so much from people who had a very different uh, political experience from me. You know, my politics have changed as a res- uh, quite a lot as a result of uh, talking to these you know, great young people who help run Momentum. There is a, the, 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 one of the things that's levelled against Momentum um, is that there is a sort of there is a bit of a sort of polit- nasty political edge to it that when you have um, that, that you know there's there's you know branch meetings and so forth everybody's being ousted and denounced and there's there's a culture of that that uh, there's a culture of denunciation uh, I'm more left wing than you type of thing which which this is something that's said broadly about momentum you know you're you're a perfectly nice bloke and I just like. Just trying to connect all those things up. Is this not true? Or? Uh, well, look, the, the allegation, I, of course, is made. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure there are Labour Party meetings which are not pleasant and which, in which people are nasty to each other. That does happen. I mean, you know, th- there can be fault on both sides in those situations. I think uh, that when uh, the membership of the Labour Party suddenly troubled, uh, you know, there was quite a lot of hostility from the old membership towards the new membership and suspicion and, uh, you know, new members were not always made welcome. Uh, and and, it, and, and in, in some ways I think it's understandable. Ch- you know, the membership changed, the politics of the membership changed. And, and given change you... is not comfortable no, for no. people who... And know, like change, I mean, we are sitting here today uh, after Labour Party got trounced last night, trounced. Um, fifth in Bolsover. I mean, you know, if you become fifth in Bolsover, what, how, how are you going to square a energetic, young, broadly Remainer type of young people in the Labour Party with the sort of working class heartlands who think differently? How, does, how do you make that? How do you bring uh, that together? Well, you know, it's a, it's a, it is difficult. Um, and if you look back at 2015, when these young people joined the Labour Party in a spirit of hope and optimism, you have to also sometimes learn how to, 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 to deal with defeat and to pick yourself up after those defeats. And believe me, I've had lots of experience of that over the last 40 years. Uh, and I think... Um, there was a big change in 2016 when Jeremy was challenged and we had the second leadership campaign uh, because people didn't want, you know, a lot of the new members hadn't, you know, they felt alienated by the, the old members who weren't welcoming. Um, 
but they did, and therefore they didn't engage very much actually with the party. They'd come to momentum meetings, they'd go out campaigning, but you know they they didn't want to do something that wasn't where they weren't made to feel welcome. And then there was this sudden, well, it wasn't sudden attack because the attacks had started as soon as Jeremy was elected. But when the challenge came, it made people a bit hardened, you know, and a bit tougher. And Brexit, and, and, I mean, Brexit's and, and, and like then, weaponized this again. I mean, or like weaponized is like, I mean, I'm really interested in your position on Brexit because, you know, you, you work for Tony Benn, who's a lever. Michael Meacher, definitely Eurosceptic. Jeremy Corbyn, I think he's a lever. Um, you know, you have all of these left-wing leavers. You, you feel, I mean, I said to you before, you feel a bit like a, you feel a bit like a lever to me, but you denied it. Well, I'm, I'm, I, I voted Remain, I campaigned for Remain. Um, I'm, I was a Eurosceptic Remainer. Um, you know, I, I, I'm an internationalist through and through. Yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, they, I feel completely European. I mean, actually, that's, a, that's partly from my Jewishness. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I abhor nationalism. You know, nationalism has not been good for Jews. Uh, you know, I, I don't think the nationalism of Jews is good for Palestinians either, by the way. Um, so is that so a comment I'm, about the existence of the State of Israel? Not about the existence of the State of Israel. It's a, it's a comment about, uh, you know, I don't see any conflict between opposing anti-Semitism and supporting Palestinian rights and statehood. And I, and I do. You know, and and Israeli. But, but, and, 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 but statehood and the, is a form of nationalism. You just support well, it. You just said yeah, the, yeah, no, well, in, in one sense it is. Okay. Um, but I think you have to look at the politics of the, of the, of the, of the beginning of the state of Israel, which was in the, which was, you know, followed on from the Holocaust. And the reason that the but, UN voted to, to, for partition is because Actually, neither Britain nor the US nor other Western countries out of the Allied uh, countries wanted to take in a load of Holocaust survivors, and you know, and, and, and that was the only option. But I'm interested in your attitude to the nation-state about this. Mm -hmm. So, with regard to Palestine and with regard to Israel and whatever it is, because on the one hand you say, I'm, I'm, I mean, this relates to Brexit, doesn't it? On the one hand, I'm against nationalism; it's a terrible thing, and you lead us down the path towards that being racist. But on the other, you would say things like, I think it's terribly important that we have, you know, a uh, national state for Palestinians and um, the, the word national, I mean, you know, we, we were talking no, about... For me, the, the thing about uh, Jews and Palestinians and you know, Israel-Palestine is that uh, Jews should have the same right to statehood as other, as other, yes. as other people. Uh, you know, do I feel that there has to be a Jewish state? Well. If there was some other settlement which involved uh, people living in the same state, I, I, I wouldn't object to that. But if you know, but I want there to be a viable state in which Jews can live, uh, can live I guess the peacefully was, and happily. I guess with the question I was as I at, want for Palestinians. The question I'm getting at really is actually not about Israel-Palestine. It's about this whole idea of nation. Okay. So I so I'm trying to press you on this because there'll be lots of people who would see themselves working class labour people who would see themselves as patriotic for whom the nation state is important it's a sort of upper limited democratic legitimacy and then you sort of associate no, nation I, I, with with something more like racism which is i'm trying to work out what the whole idea what the what your valuation of the nation state is i'm in favor of democracy and democracy has to exist at, at, at every level you know from the community uh, upwards um, you know including the state 
including, I might say, Europe. One of my biggest criticisms of, of, of the EU, and it's reason, one of the reasons why I describe myself as a Eurosceptic, is because there is so little democracy in the EU. Actually, the power in the EU is really held by the Council of Ministers, in which ministers act in national interests. You know, and in, it, it actually embeds the, 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 the concept of the nation state in the structure of the European Union. I feel more comfortable, quite frankly, with a federal Europe, um, which was democratic, where the parliament had more power. I think there's, a, there's been a real democratic deficit in Europe, uh, you know, which has uh, you know, empowered ministers to, to pursue the national interest and has empowered the Brussels bureaucracy. I'd sooner see it democratized. I'd feel more happy about that. So I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not anti, I'm not anti the natural state, but nor, am I, nor do I feel it's, it's a very important thing for me. So I, when we I, have the National Health Service, um, which uh, we would want to love, that is linked love, in its yeah. name and in its concept with the idea of it being the health service within a particular nation. Uh, look, people's national identity is, in, is important. You know, a lot, uh, national identity is important to a lot of other people. A I wasn't talking about identity. But, well, but that's what holds a na the nation together, okay. really. I think, yeah. I think that, well, national identity and the political structures. Yeah. I mean, the nation is, you know, one could argue, and indeed historians do argue, that the nation is actually the product of the state. It follows the state, yeah. doesn't precede it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that's pretty true, actually. Um, okay, I've got some questions here from, from people in the audience. Um, come on, this, is, this, is, this one you should, like, knock, knock out a part, really. Sandra's asked, what, should, what would socialist future look like within the Corbyn government? Uh, I think it has to be democratic. Uh, at every level, I've just been been talking yeah. about that. You know, from communities, uh, you know, to to, to uh, the, the the nation, uh, levels in between, workplaces, empowering consumers, democratizing public services, nationalized industries. Um, I think it, the state has to take responsibility for all aspects of the well-being of people and the, the functioning of the, of the economy in the interests of people and not profit. Uh, and uh, I think we have to, the state has to take responsibility for the quality of public services. Uh, and I want to see a more equal the, 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 uh, a much more equal distribution of income and wealth, because I think that is the cornerstone of a healthy, happy uh, population. So when you say it's democratic, when 52% uh, of people vote to leave the European Union, do you think we should, uh, we should do that? Well, look, we, I think the Labour Party in uh, 2015, when, when David Cameron uh, proposed the referendum as a way of resolving uh, conflicts within the Tory party, nothing to do, and because he didn't think that it would go the way it went. Um, the then leader of the Labour Party, Harriet Harman, was the acting leader, accepted that the Labour Party would, said the Labour Party would accept the result. I think having done that, it would be very wrong not to respect the result. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I accept that position. Does that make me 
less of a Remainer? No. I would second referendum? Prefer... No, you don't... Well, we've already had a second referendum. The first referendum was in 1975. Okay, so another referendum. I, I was three weeks too young to vote for it. Another referendum. So you know, do another we, referendum? You know, it, if we had another referendum, then it would be the best of three. Do I think we should have it? I, I, I think it may be uh, the only way that we can resolve the outcome. And if it's proposed in that way, then I think it can be justified. I think the trouble is, you know, the, the, the demands from almost the beginning for a people's vote, uh, you know, from people who'd opposed uh, 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 Brexit, uh, does look to a lot of people, you know, who voted for Brexit as just simply a way of overturning uh, the last referendum. And I think you have to understand the reasons why people voted for Brexit. You know, they felt angry. They felt let down. You know, they felt that their area, you know, the areas in which they live had been neglected by successive governments. And unfortunately, I think that, you know, that is not without foundation. I, 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 I feel that the Blair government, uh, you know, played its part in that. Uh, you know, under Blair's watch, I, you know, we lot, you know, having got a tremendous election victory in 1997, we then proceeded to lose five million working-class votes because people felt that the, that a Labour the, government was what, not doing what Brexit what was threatens to do is is to is to split apart an alliance between between the Labour Party and the and the working class, traditional working class. That's one of the things it threatens. Well, that's you know that's why it is proposed by the far right. That's why uh, you know uh, uh, you know frankly Nigel Farage is exploiting it as an issue. You know, he, he isn't on the side of the working class. You know, he was a, uh, a city trader. He's, uh, you know, that's not his politics, you know. But unfortunately, the far right exploit the insecurities of, of working class people for their own ends. And I'm extremely worried about the rise of the far right that was, that was evident in the results that we saw last night uh, in the, from the Euro election. Do you, do you think that that's close to saying... You, you, you were very careful about what, what you say here because um, the, presumably, you know, Labour Party comes fifth in Bolsover. You don't say, you lot are racist because you voted for Nigel Farage. That's no. not going to win people back. It certainly isn't, and I wouldn't say that. No, um, but, it's, but, but, but there is a... So lots of working class people voted for Nigel Farage. You think Nigel Farage is a racist. So there is, like, why did uh, these people... I, I didn't quite... No, I, I mean, was, I, th I think Nigel Farage, Farage may well... All right, well... So, like, it comes a question mark at the end, but like, so I'm just trying to work out how you, it's, you're just, you're quite close to, to, to steering people in the direction of thinking um, that working class people who would vote for Brexit party were racist. No, that isn't what I think. No. Um, I think that working class people were angry that uh, so little had been done for their, for their communities, for the areas in which they live. You know, they, they, you know, uh, you know, large swathes of England uh, and Wales, and you know, are, have have seen the industries that completely dominated those areas just disappear as a result of the policies of governments. And I don't think the Blair government did enough to put that right because they left too much to the market. They believed that markets could solve these things. I don't believe that. I think the state has to take responsibility for the well-being of communities and the, and the proper function of the economy. I'm fascinated by what your dad would think. You, if, you, if, you, if your dad was now and you're going to have... You, you, a lot of these sorts of conversations feel to me like conversations you've had with your dad or like 
uh, that you'd what would your would you, would your dad be more persuaded by you now do you think you could uh... Uh, I think he did come to be more persuaded I think he did come to be uh, to accept that I wasn't just a bullshy teenager anymore um, and uh, I, 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 he was a benevolent Tory uh, I I Maybe he wouldn't even be it. My mum did switch, actually. My mum, from about 1983, was a Labour voter. She wrote it, uh, Labour for the rest of her life. Um, so uh, I think I might have been able to switch my dad in, in the end. <laughs> Bolshie teenager to Bolshie adult. <laughs> Thank you very much, John Lansman. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Confessions with me, Giles Fraser. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do rate and review it, and do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be joined by another guest next week for another episode of Soul Bearing, and I do hope you'll tune in then. And do check out the website, unheard.com. Confessions.